0: Welcome to the SLP Full Disclosure Podcast. Tune in for each episode to hear from experts in the field about new and informative topics in the world of speech language pathology. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a guest. And let's jump into this episode. Hello, and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I'm your host, Jennifer Martin. And I am thrilled with our guest today. Um, We are going to be speaking with Susan Lockwood Roberts. And Jonathan, I know (laughs) that you have heard me talking about her more times than I talk about most of our guests, um, because it's just an area that I feel very passionate about. And I think it's really important for us to learn about. Yeah, it'll be great that um, after months of talking about doing this episode, we're finally able to do it. So, <laughs> yes, and then I'll move on to something else that I'm constantly <laughs> I'm talking sure about. There'll be another obsession coming up. So <laughs> just wait. I'm I'm, tick- I'm checking them off one by one. Mm-hmm. But I think this is so important, and she talks about this too. Is just that this is somewhere that we as therapists can really make a difference and, and where our, our services are needed. So I think as you're listening to this, to just think about that, um, and, and how we as special education professionals can continue to assist with, with some of the work that, um, Susan has done. And, With that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her because she's really got a very impressive resume and background. So today we're going to talk to Dr. Susan Lockwood-Roberts, and she is retired from the Indiana Department of Corrections and did that in 2017, where she was director of juvenile education for 12 years. And prior to that, she taught in the public schools of central Indiana for 17 years And in addition to being the past president of the executive board of the Correctional Education Association, she has published numerous peer-reviewed research articles, along with a book called Kick to the Curb, where policy has failed our most vulnerable youth and the fight for a better tomorrow. She is also an adjunct faculty member at the School of Education at Indiana University, has served as a court-appointed expert for special education-related litigation, and has been an invited speaker at many state, national, and international events. She currently owns Nexus Point Consulting and lives in Columbus, Indiana. And we are so happy to have Dr. Lockwood Roberts. I normally wake up and am immediately excited about my first cup of coffee, but I will tell you that this morning I woke up and I was immediately excited about talking with you, our guest today. Oh, wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Our producer, Jonathan, will know that I will not... Once I become very excited about something and feel passionate about something, I just... Don't stop talking about it. So uh, he's <laughs> he's gotten to hear a lot about this, but good. I am so excited to have you join us. Um, Susan Lockwood Lockwood Roberts. And um, I've just really been looking forward to this conversation. Oh, thanks so, for having me. Oh, of course. Thank you. I know you are very busy, and so <laughs> this is such a treat to have you join us today. But just before we get started, um, because I don't know all about your professional experience and background, and I'm sure that that is something that our listeners would also be really interested in knowing about, but just tell me a little bit about your professional experience so far, and I'm really curious as well to know, know where you are and where you started what was your original path, and how did this differ from from that? So, that's, I guess first a little bit about just where did this all
1: begin? Okay, that's actually very funny. Um, I started out as a music teacher. Um, I went to school at Ball State University in um, East Central Indiana, and my my career path that I wanted I wanted to teach vocal music, and you know have do high school musicals and all of that, you know, all the things that go along with that. And that's where I started. I started out as a teacher in public schools. um, And then so over the years, about 17 years to be exact, I taught music, uh, both elementary and um, secondary vocal music, but then elementary general music. And while I was doing that, I worked a lot, with students with special needs. And so I just really started to, um, have a, I mean, just a, a real, um, I don't know, calling, I would say to do more with kids with special needs. And so I went back to school and, um, got my special ed teaching license. And while I was doing that, I did a practicum at the Indiana boys school, which is a juvenile correctional facility, Indiana in Indiana at the time. And so then I started working with youth um, who were incarcerated, and many of whom um, have been identified for special education. And so, um, shortly after that, I got my special ed license, and uh, a position opened up to teach special education courses there. And so I um, applied for the job and got it. And then for the next 17 years, I was either teaching, um, I taught for four years inside the juvenile correctional facilities, and then um, I had gone on to become, you know, get my administrative licenses. And so um, I became, eventually became a statewide uh, school administrator for the Indiana Department of Correction and oversaw the, the education programs for the, the students, the youth who were incarcerated within That agency.
0: Wow, that is such. uh, I love those types of stories where it's and this just goes to show it's sometimes what you think you want to do and what you end up doing. And and I we work with a lot of new grads who are just certain like this is what I want to do. And I always try to explain to them that it may be now, but that doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do forever.
1: Oh, exactly. And I mean, I think there are so many people who are, you know, um, in college that are, you know, trying to Mm -hmm. prepare to become a teacher. And there's so many roles that you can you can fulfill as a teacher. Mm -hmm. There's there's an incredible number of people in our country who are adults without a high school credential or who still need basic literacy skills. And so there's an entire demographic that um, teachers can also serve in that regard in the mm-hmm. the adult basic ed world. And so, you know, we have um, people who are incarcerated in facilities, both um, juvenile and adult, where, mm-hmm. you know, they um, can have opportunities to um, be rehabilitated with education. And then, you know, we have our public schools. So there's there's a ample need for, <laughs> for educators, you know, and uh, lots of different ways that you can, um, be used as an educator.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's just so valid. They're all valuable. Oh, absolutely. And, yes. Um, so I'm curious, did you ever use your music degree?
1: Yes. Um, I taught music for 17 years. So, um, most definitely I did. Um, and I didn't use it when i was um teaching in the prisons or in the you know, okay like, that's so, what i was okay, thinking yeah. Okay, yeah yeah so yeah. no i so, no, yeah. so um no i didn't use it there um uh-huh. i was more my role was either as a special ed teacher or an administrator
0: mm-hmm. i just asked that because and i'm sorry i should have been more specific yeah, okay. <laughs> but um yeah i asked that because i you know, have worked with several younger children and i know that music therapy is becoming um, really yes uh just so much more is known about it and i right. honestly at first kind of thought why is this child getting music therapy and it was incredible the difference it's, it made in some of
1: these lives it's it actually it does very much so yeah. and that it's actually one of the reasons why i um per, pursued special education because many of the kids the the children who were coming to my elementary classroom um were were students with special needs um, Um, We had quite a few children in our building who were receiving services because of autism. Mm -hmm. And music was hugely helpful Mm -hmm. for them um, to just kind of come out of themselves and express themselves Mm -hmm. and communicate. And that was something that was just really, um, I just, I loved that. And when I first graduated from high school and wanted to go into music, um, there were just a few programs that... Um, were for music therapy Mm -hmm. but you're right more is known about it now and it's more prevalent and there are more Mm -hmm. more programs but i might try to do that today if i were you know starting out again i might look more into doing music therapy yeah, absolutely. And I'm just
0: impressed that you are <laughs> musically gifted because I just feel like that's another area where there's a lot of things I think, oh, everybody can learn this. And I know that music is, you know, if you put enough time and effort, but I do believe there are just some people that are born um ingrained with those skills. So I'm I'm very impressed with oh, that. Oh well, thank well. you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and so I came. I became familiar with you um, through an organization called CEA, and I would love to know. I think once I came upon this and learned about this and what this organization stood for, I was. It's almost once you know, you can't unknow. Right. Um, and so, can you tell us a little bit about your role with CEA and what the organization does?
1: Yes, um, absolutely. We had, um, CEA is the Correctional Education Association, and it's been in existence since 1930. And the mission of CEA is to empower our members to provide transformational learning opportunities. And so um, our tagline is transforming lives. And so the whole idea is um, our organization is made up of professionals who work inside correctional settings, maybe they're providing education services in a jail or in a detention center or a prison, you know, any area, you know, any um, um, setting where, you know, the, the, people are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of us out there. And so we, um, have this organization and the whole idea is for us to serve our members through, um, professional development, through networking, through, we offer accreditation so we can accredit correctional education programs, um, just to like help show their validity to, you know, other, other entities. Um, so those are the kinds of things we do, and I was introduced to CEA back in 2004, and I had just started as an administrator with the Indiana Department of Correction in the schools there, and and it was just an outstanding um just great for me because I was able to network with other people who did what I did. You know, it's not like, not everyone will walk in a prison and teach, you know? And um, so it was good to like come together with people who knew, like we all knew what we did, but and understood what we did, and um, so over the years, I just remained involved with them. And then um, from 2018 until just last summer for um, 2020, I was the president of the executive board for CEA. And now I'm um, I'm serving my last year on the board as the past president, and um, that's that's my role. <laughs> that's what I do. Well, and I
0: encourage anybody who works in education or works with youth to go and check out this website, because I was very impressed. And I will tell you, and I don't just say this because I'm speaking with you, but everybody that I have come in contact with that is part of this association has been so helpful, so knowledgeable. And it's just really feels like And I just love the mission. And um, we'll talk more about that too. But I encourage everybody to go and and check it out. And I was saying to Susan, I became a member, which it's very reasonable membership, but got this incredible book of just research and studies um, Mm -hmm. in the mail. And I was thinking, oh, wow, is this part of my membership? And it just, so anybody who, you know, it's this is a feel good, but it's also, here's the data that, that supports a lot of the work right. that you're doing. So, so
1: yes, we have a lot of resources on our website. And then, mm-hmm. um, we just now are our, our new president of our board, um, Kim Barnett, Barnett um, has put together, um, a new platform where members can correspond with each other and say, you know, I have this question or this Mm -hmm. problem and does anybody have any ideas or can you point Mm -hmm. me in the right direction? And so that's been really helpful too. And more and more of our members are starting to use that. And so, um, yes, we have a couple of conferences each year and get people together. We have, you know, regional conferences, state conferences. It's just a way to try to connect again, get us all connected so that we can, Work together and share ideas and and share the research, share the knowledge that we know about best practices and what worked inside, um, inside those settings. Yeah,
0: and I think many times it feels like this very niche group, but yeah. if you
1: start to look at and, and it
0: is definitely. Mm-hmm. But when you start to look at the number of of people that are in corrections okay. and in it's it's really it's a huge population, and right. um, so it's it's, it is niche, but it's also,
1: um, yes, a need, you know, and unfortunately, unfortunately, it's a huge population. We have, you know, we have, you know, America incarcerates way too many people. Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is that of all of the people that are incarcerated, at least 95% of them are going to be returning to the community. Mm -hmm. And so it makes all the sense in the world to, prepare them for that and through mm-hmm. education and job training and and all of the things that that we can do to help them so that they can actually come back in a way that they can re-enter their their communities and be mm-hmm. um, be productive successful mm-hmm. citizens because I that's what you want from your neighbors you want the people in your community to be productive and successful and so um, this is what, that's what we're trying to do. Transform lives is what, why we have that tagline.
0: We'll be right back to our interview. We just want to take a brief moment to shout out the company that makes this show possible, Med Travelers. If you are a therapist interested in traveling, visit medtravelers.com to explore the amazing benefits that Med Travelers has to offer. Featuring short and long-term contract opportunities at leading facilities across the country with higher earning potential, W-2 employee status, and a flexible schedule, MedTravelers is your advocate for career success. Visit MedTravelers.com to begin your travel adventure today. And now back to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very easy. And I know you've talked about this to feel like, well, that's, this is us and that's them. And it's like, mm-hmm. no. It's all us. It's all and of so, us. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's and, all
1: and of us. And you're right.
0: I think people forget the goal is, um, just like I tell the new grads, the goal is not for, if somebody doesn't need to be in special education anymore, it doesn't need speech services anymore. The goal is to get them what they need. And then they are off and running on their own. Right. The goal is not to keep them in speech for Forever. kindergarten through 12th grade. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's the same with, with, you know, anybody in incarceration is the goal is, and we all know there's some people that, that we can't, but I think to your point, the vast majority we can and, and education as we know is, is that power and does is, is what's going to help tremendously. And
1: if you think of it that way, um, if, if we know that Education is important for all of us. You know, if we want our children to be educated, we want to, Mm -hmm. we know that education provides opportunity. And so if it's important for people outside the fence, of course, Mm -hmm. it's important for people inside the fence. The same, I mean, the same rules apply, you know, the more education you have, the more opportunity you have. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. And the goal too, is that if they're coming back
0: into society, then you don't want (laughs) <laughs> to them right. to go, you know, you, the recidivism right. rate is, and right. so th- again, it, being able to provide those resources. Correct. Um, yeah. So I would love to just dig in a little bit more about what your job looked like while in corrections. I think this is something where uh, it's kind of the, the mystery to a lot of us is sure. what does it look like in there? But before um, we start mm-hmm. with that, what I want to make sure I'm using the correct an appropriate terminology. Okay. So what, um, you know, is it, in, you know, when I grew up, it was juvenile detention centers. What, what's mm-hmm. the
1: correct terminology? So lately it ha- it was when I um, entered into um, the agency, into mm-hmm. Indiana Department of Correction, we called it juvenile correctional facilities. Okay. Um, now it's more, people are moving the language more toward youth So instead of juvenile Mm -hmm. using youth. So um, if you think of a youth detention facility, that is like an adult jail where people are there waiting to see the judge or, you know, with with the youth, they're waiting for their case Mm -hmm. to be adjudicated. Um, So once they have seen the judge and if it's determined that they need to go and and, um, complete a program of some Mm -hmm. kind, then... That would be um youth um correctional facilities. So so youth detention, youth corrections, and then the same with adult jail and adult um corrections or adult prisons for some, some call it prison, but it's still it's the same. It's like after they've been Mm -hmm. seen the judge and they're doing their sentence.
0: So it's almost youth detention is short
1: term mm-hmm. youth correctional facility is long term right it's after they've they've um, their case has been decided what okay. what's going to happen so once once they've seen the been in court and seen the judge mm-hmm. and the judge determines what needs to happen um, then they would go to corrections
0: and is that similar to um kind of you know the county jail, like I'm thinking for adults. The county mm-hmm. jail, once you know if you're gonna be in short term or long term, then you may go and get moved to a right. prison. Right. So these aren't necessarily the same locations, the right. for youth
1: either. Okay. Right, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Thank you. You're yeah, yeah, that's fine. So um what it would look like, um so I would go a typical day would be for me to um go through, you know, security to get inside. And we had a school inside the facility. There, there were different um, um, buildings where they, the youth would live, you know, their living quarters or, or whatever. There's a place for them to eat, you know, a dining hall. There's a place for them to do recreation if they had indoor recreation. But then there was a school and the youth would come to school Um, Just like any other youth would, you know, and and if you look, if you think about it with youth corrections um, and the same with youth detentions, the whole idea is that they need to be going to school just like they would be doing if they were um, at home or in their Mm -hmm. communities, because that's what, that's what kids do. They go to school. And so um, the schools were staffed with, um, with teachers that would be teaching high school courses all of that um and we would have school and then we would go home and so you know it's just in a different place and um definitely some different things that we would have to do we would have to um um be careful of the types of materials we used mm-hmm. things like that to make sure that everybody stayed safe so it's not like we have scissors around mm-hmm. you know things that you don't really keep it you Pens, you know, mm-hmm. um, things that we t- kind of take for granted, but we would limit that in in a um, in a correctional environment. So, mm-hmm. but other than that, that's school. And do they do? Is it like a one room
0: schoolhouse? And I know you you can speak mainly for your facility, but is it you know Are they changing subjects with their multiple teachers throughout the day? And there's electives, or is it more
1: that there's one teacher going through? Right. It's, yeah, <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> and it's, um, in our situation, we actually, they changed classes and they went from math class to mm-hmm. history, to English, you know, just like high school. Um, but in some detention centers where it's just, you know, a small number of kids in a small space, they might have a place where they do school. You know, and Mm -hmm. then, you know, depending on how it's set up and who's, you know, who's running it, you know, it might be that one room kind of schoolhouse where they're, they're trying to do all of the things in one space.
0: Well, and I'm interested too, because you never know, I know there's probably maximum numbers that they can have in any facility, but with that being said, you don't always know, okay, we're going to have five 10th graders and we're going to have- 28th graders. So how do you organize
1: by grade? Um, well, we do some intake assessments when they come, Mm -hmm. you know, when they come to us and we, um, we, we get their school records from previous schools and lots of times they had dropped out of school. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we're trying to fill in all the things that we have that we can, we can bring together to try to get a sense of where this student's achievement level is, mm-hmm. and so um, you know, all, like I said, we're just kind of trying to fill in all the gaps and figure mm-hmm. out what the student needs, and then we just go from there. Lots of times, we might have someone who's 16 years old but hasn't finished his freshman year or doesn't gotcha. have enough doesn't have enough credits to mm-hmm. you know move to the next the next level. And, you know, it's, it's kind of sad because, you know, we would have kids who their peers, their age appropriate peers probably are juniors or, you know, or seniors or whatever. But when they come in, they're like, I'm a freshman, I'm taking ninth grade English. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, yeah, because we don't have, you don't, you haven't completed ninth grade English Mm -hmm. or you haven't. So, um, you know, we, we would just get them started, try to meet them where they were and then, you know, help them get as far as they could while they were with us.
0: Gosh, I'm just thinking through this as you're talking, and I'm thinking, um, you know, I'm sure on one hand, it is hard to say, yes, you're this age, you're going to be with this group because, you know, developmentally or skill Mm -hmm. level, this is where you're at, because you don't want to put them in a, if, imagine if you put them in a position where
1: they can't do the work, that's just going to then snowball effect and cause other issues. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's a huge, a huge problem um, Mm -hmm. because- we are supposed to, no matter, you know, if, if a student is, um, you know, age appropriately, if he, if he's moved up to high school, okay. Mm -hmm. say for say, and he might be starting out in ninth grade, but the fact is he hasn't, he might be reading at a sixth grade or seventh Mm -hmm. grade level. And that happens all the time. So it's like, okay, we're taking English nine this is the English 9 curriculum, and then we're doing all kinds of things to support this student and help him, again, kind of like make, make up those gaps that mm-hmm. he he has in his education. And it, lots of times it's because he's either dropped out of school or maybe he's moved around a lot. There's, you know, all kinds of reasons why, you know, kids are um, in the situations they're in. But, you know, our goal is to just try to help, again, meet them where they are and try to do what we can to get them as far as, as they can go while they're with us.
0: And in many ways you think that would be great for all schools, whether corrections or not, right. You know, right. It's mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, you brought up something I hadn't thought about it because I know, I think most States you can legally drop out at 16
1: is what it is. Right. And I think in Indiana, I believe they raised that okay. now. Like I think, I think it, at one time, it was 16, but then I think now it might be 18. Mm. I, I mean, my kids are out of high school, so. mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but then also like some states are also attaching things like your ability to have a driver's license, mm. you know, being enrolled in school, and all of that. So um, there are all kinds. Of, again, it's it's really interesting how various states and jurisdictions mm-hmm. do things differently, but at the end of the day, they do have to, you know, follow the law as far as. Comp- or um, compulsory ed, you know, making sure that kids are in school.
0: So even if they're in a place where, let's say, if they weren't incarcerated and they were sixteen and they could drop out, if they end up in corrections, is it or if they say, "Well, no, I'm, I dropped out," does it is is it not an option? You're going not to an op- yeah, okay. not an option. Nope. Okay. <laughs> so like, I would like to opt out. No, uh, no, <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that. Um, and I'm just curious too, because, you know, one of the things when I said, once you know, you can't unknow and doing, looking into this. And again, this is an area I'm really interested in, in, in looking at the data and this, the numbers. I, and I was reading somewhere that, you know, up to 60% of, of, youth that are in corrections have an IEP, yes. a learning disability. Um, so what does that look like from a special education standpoint, if they're
1: in the correctional? Um, that is, by the way, that's very typical for um, for a po- population in a school inside a correctional setting mm-hmm. for, you know, 50, 60% to be identified for special ed services. That's not I mean, that's pretty typical. Um, so usually the highest qualify you know, qualifying category that we had was, um, learning disabilities and mm-hmm. then followed by emotional, um, disorder, or we had some with, um, some students who were, had intellectual developmental delays, that, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of students who might, um, be also qualified under other health impaired, Mm -hmm. um, for ADHD. So things like that. Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's one of those things where if you look at prevalence in a public school Mm -hmm. and kind of how the categories are in public school, that prevalence, it's, it's pretty much the same and just magnified in a correctional setting. Um, and it's a lot of the, the kids have, um, have struggled their entire life when it comes Mm -hmm. to education. And so it's just, you have a lot of those needy kids all in one place, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. And it's, it is one of those where it's like, you know, causation correlation, what, you know, where it's, I'm sure that many times that they end up in these positions because of some of these Impulse control, lower cognition, right. communication disorders. And so that's ultimately what
1: gets them right. to these right. facilities sometimes. You know, um, there's a lot of, of um, literature out now about social-emotional learning and, mm-hmm. um, tra- you know, how trauma impacts learners. And our kids inside these these settings, most mm-hmm. of them you know, have, you know, they have adverse childhood experiences. They have experienced yeah. a lot of trauma. They've witnessed violence or experienced fight violence. And mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, there's a lot going on. And these are young kids who don't have the strategies to cope. And that yeah. then sometimes then it just snowballs and they get into places where they, they just, they do things that they shouldn't, you know. Mm-hmm. I know. And
0: it's, this is one of those instances where I know life isn't fair, but you know, some of them, it is these, you know, adverse childhood experiences. It's just right out of the
1: gate. And it's like what they know. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. It's what they know. Um, That's, I wrote about this one time when I said, it's like Mm -hmm. their normal is not Mm -hmm. even close to what normal is for Mm -hmm. many people. And so if, if all they know is violence, if all they know Mm -hmm. is, um, anger, if all they know is substance abuse, you know, what can we expect,
0: you know? Yeah, absolutely. What's going to happen. Yeah. And so much it's, it's one one of those things where it's like, it's not fair, but, uh, you know, life is not fair, but that so many of those, those critical beginning, you know, 10 years of our life, those first are just so critical in who we are. And um, Mm -hmm. and it's almost, you know, I think about this all the time that, gosh, it could be that those 10 years were just trauma-filled, so terrible, but then the rest of your life is filled with nothing but positive and great experiences, but that just still is so hard to overcome. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I want to, I'm curious too, so we know that so many of them qualify for special education services. Um, you obviously were helping to provide some of those as, as a special educator. Mm-hmm. What about if they do qualify for physical therapy or occupational therapy or speech? Who
1: right. provides that? What does that look like? Um, in our situation, what we tried to do was um, we would we would have contracts in place for mm-hmm. um, for we had. For example, a speech pathologist who mm-hmm. we contracted with to provide services to the students who needed them. We didn't have a lot who needed services by the time they're teenagers, but yeah. you know they, it, we do have some. And lots of times they might have speech services, you know, in their IEPs. And then once she's worked with them a while, she'll she'll find out that well, you know, he's he's developed through this, mm-hmm. or he's he's fine. Um, the same with occupational and physical therapy that was a little tougher because there's such a shortage anyway of those types of pro, you know those service providers mm-hmm. um many times especially with occupational therapy we would have an occupational therapist like give us some um like things that we could do with mm-hmm. another adult so like assign gotcha. you know another teacher or a paraprofessional or whatever to work with the student doing the things that the occupational therapist would do so mm-hmm. That would sometimes, you know, happen, but we often really didn't get a lot of IEPs where there were a lot of related services that were needed.
0: And, um, oh gosh, I just lost
1: my train of thought. Hold
0: on. (laughs) (laughs) This happens sometimes. Um, So I'm also wondering too, you know, is it sometimes too where they want to limit the number of people that are coming in and out? And so that's
1: challenging as well um no we actually we take you know we take whoever you know and i'm mm-hmm. i'm sure that the courts are you know are very careful about sending kids to us mm-hmm. i mean it's it's a trend across the country that we try to you know um um it's There's an initiative called JDAI, which is the Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative, I think is what those letters stand for. But Mm -hmm. basically trying to find other ways for Mm -hmm. students to be able to, um, or for kids to be able to, you know, be rehabilitated, but also Mm -hmm. be, you know, have supervision over them. Um, And so, you know, some kids, especially if kids that are not violent, you know, some things that they can, they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. need to be incarcerated doing a program inside Mm -hmm. a correctional facility. Um, So yes, but so that the trend across the country is that juvenile incarceration is downward, you know, trending downward. Um, However, still, I mean, it's like we get whoever we get, you know, if if we're Mm -hmm. in, you know, if we have a correctional facility and a school inside, it's like the the kids come when they're, they're they're incarcerated and they come when they, where they're told to. So.
0: Yeah. And it really, I mean, you know, when you're saying this, I'm thinking, I'm so glad to hear that some changes are being made because that should be the last resort. Because is, if somebody right. doesn't need that level, right. I imagine that that could probably exacerbate things and make them worse. Where right. it's like, if we had gone this direction and provided that rehabilitation right. support, mm-hmm.
1: now we've just Right, Maybe you know, there, there, the there, are, there are definitely kids who need need to be mm. in you know some kind of a, a structured, supervised you know environment, and at the same time, be be re- rehabilitated in that environment. So mm. you know, definitely rehabilitation is is. The bottom line, um, but there are some kids. You're right that don't need that much stru- mm-hmm. structure, that they don't need that much oversight, um, and you know, given this chance to be rehabilitated in other ways. Well, and that
0: brings me to another question. This is the thought I lost that came back. Okay. <laughs>
1: I'm always happy when that happens. Usually it's
0: like two it in the morning. I'm comes like, around. Oh. <laughs> I will call Susan now. I'm sure she'll be excited <laughs> to talk with me. Um, what about mental health services in these facilities?
1: What does that look right. like? And is that? It's hard. It's hard everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, there are more people, adults too, incarcerated mm-hmm. who, I mean, men- people with, um, you know, mental health diagnoses who are incarcerated than there are who are hospitalized, which is mm-hmm. a sad, sad um, story in America. Um, so, but there are mental health services um, for those kids who need to have them. Um, mm-hmm. And typically, I know in Indiana, I believe those have been contracted out to uh, providers that come in and, and work with the kids doing, um, you know, cognitive um, therapy. Um, dialectical behavior, therapy, different types of things to help, you know, help give them and teach them strategies to, to deal with circumstances and, and be able to manage their illness, you know, the best that they can. Um, it's, I just, if I started to talk about mental health in America, we could have another two week podcast. I mean, it's, it's a sad, sad mm-hmm. state. And it's something that I think Needs to be be addressed.
0: Yes, I um I will block up my calendar for the next two weeks and <laughs> gladly talk with you about this because oh. I also feel like this is something I feel very passionate about. Right. And, you know, I look at the the stats. I was just looking at some um, last week about here's you know the projections of what these needs are going to be like for youth, and here's mm-hmm. our supply. Right. And it's just right. like, it- How are we going to
1: you know, that. all of it, like social workers mm-hmm. and um, speech pathologists, mm-hmm. um, people who are substance abuse mm-hmm. um, providers, you know, who can help do yeah. therapy, those kinds of things. There, there definitely, there's a shortage of all of that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely difficult. Now, CEA as actually, um, there's a, there's a group called Nexus, N E X. US and I'll send you that link to their website. Um, but it's a group that has come around and uh, they have um, partnered with various, they call them um, stakeholders who are not exactly um, just the ones that you would think of right away. When you talk about mental health, you know, you think of NAMI, you know, different groups that are all about mental health. But then mm-hmm. they're talking to providers, the Nexus organization, they're talking to providers who are connected to corrections, who are, you know, working with youth, who are, you know, working with women, those are kind of their three Mm -hmm. pillars. And so, you know, partnering to say, okay, so what are some other things that we can do, you know, bring these partners in and talk to us about these problems and what are some potential solutions. So I think I'm really proud of CEA for being involved in that collaboration with, with Nexus because of the mental health this huge gap and need for, for being able to problem solve around that. I love that. I'll definitely go. And
0: we can put that in the show notes too, because I'm always looking for organizations to get involved with and to learn more. And, Mm -hmm. and I think even just like you said earlier, just now that we know more about trauma and the lasting effects and, you know, what are some of the things we can do? These things are even more important now. Yes, they sure are. Than ever, mm-hmm. um, and I know something else that you know a lot about, and um, is just IDEA law. And this is something—it's crazy. You know, I've been a therapist for you know 18 years, and mm-hmm. I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on it. And then we were just doing some training modules where I was presenting on the IDEA law and having to do a lot of research and looking, and I realized there's a lot I didn't know, and it was a very good educational experience. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, as we know so many of these kids have, the youth in the facilities have an IEP, learning disability. How does IDEA law
1: apply to youth in corrections? The same as it does in public schools. So if I have an IEP in public school and I come to school inside a correctional facility, I qualify for services there as well. Mm-hmm. so the the responsibility for for um, providing those services resides with whoever's mm-hmm. providing education services. Um, so in some jurisdictions, it might be the local school corporation also provides services, education mm-hmm. to the um the kids who are incarcerated. It might be like in Indiana, we had in the corrections facilities, we the state of Indiana actually hired teachers to provide education services. So the state was in that regard was responsible for making sure that um, not only were education services provided, but also that we met all of the the criteria for um, delivering special education as well for those who qualified. Well,
0: and I can only imagine that it's, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, it's difficult or possibly a lot of turnover with with educators in the facilities. And so with that, I'm guessing it's probably hard sometimes to provide everything that we know they need, or is that wrong?
1: Um, It can be. It can be very, um, very much so. And so if I'm a, I'll just put it this way. If I'm a public school superintendent, for example, you know, in charge of the district, I might need 10 physics teachers, you know, to be Mm -hmm. in all of my schools and I can only find five. All right. Mm -hmm. So there's like, there's a shortage of physics teachers or I'm having Mm -hmm. a hard time finding math teachers, you know, different subject areas. It seems like there's kind of a trend, you know, (laughs) know, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, this year we're having a hard time finding this kind of a teacher, but it's the same in corrections, but maybe magnified, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. because it is not everybody's cut out to work with kids who are so needy. Mm -hmm. Um, We ended up in Indiana. We um, have required that anyone who I say, we have retired, but, but at the time we, we, and I think they still do. If, if you are coming to work inside a juvenile school, you have your content license, like it might be social studies or English, but then you also needed to either have a special education license as well. Or you had to, as part of a condition of employment, you needed to get the emergency special education licensure, and then finish what you need, the courses that you needed, so that you could become both. So um, that was one way that Indiana um, kind of got to the point where we were able to staff our schools. Because seriously, if you have um, three hundred students in a school and you only have six special ed teachers, mm-hmm. and you know half of the student, you know, have one hundred and fifty. Who needs services, you know, you that's not realistic. You can't six people can't do that. So you have to be able to build, you know, this capacity to be able to provide these services. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's like, yeah, six people could do it, not well, and they won't last long. Right, right, right. (laughs) And you Mm -hmm. know, and they're not gonna stick around, and then you have to replace the right. I love that they're doing the special education special education license with that because mm-hmm. as you and I both know, gen ed and special ed are just some it's so different. So a lot overlaps the same, mm-hmm. but they're right. also so different that I love that they're they're That's very forward thinking to do that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. It's, it's definitely helped us to be able to, um, just have more, like I said, have the capacity to meet more needs, mm-hmm. be flexible, you know, Yeah, absolutely. That's the name of the game anymore,
0: right? In any education, it's flexibility. And I'm curious too, because you,
1: how how many years total did you do that, work within the facility? Well, actually, I worked for four years in the facility where Mm -hmm. I was teaching. And then I ended up being like a central office, like Mm -hmm. working from out of uh, Indianapolis. And then our facilities Mm -hmm. were all around the state. So... Um, so total, I was 17 years with the Department of Correction, and then I was 17 years with public school, so 34 years before I retired. <laughs> and then I'm I'm still doing, you know, consulting with mm-hmm. with um, correctional educators to, you know, do different things and help them with, with projects that they're working on.
0: Yeah, I, okay, I just need to be a reminder of that number again, because that is a long time, and I'm assuming, uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, that that's uh, that's, that's not common or, or is it that, I mean, is Um, there a high turnover? Is there, um, I think
1: I I noticed in adult corrections, Mm -hmm. um, it's like, once you get into working in adult ed inside prisons, you either love it and you stay Mm -hmm. forever, or you were like, this is not for me. And you're out the door in six months, kind of a thing. Um, I think we have a lot of teachers who were working in our schools who like made a career out of it. Um, Then we have others who who, you know, are just kind of putting their toe in the water to see how it how it's going to go. And maybe they might not stay as long. But Mm -hmm. I think for the most time, most for the most part, a lot of people who once they get started working with the youth, they start to realize that this is really making a difference. I feel like Mm -hmm. this is, you know, but it definitely, it's very stressful. I won't, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not all just, you know, sugar and roses. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very stressful and it does take its toll on you, you know, having Mm -hmm. that. I mean, like I said, it's like the neediest kids Mm -hmm. in the state are here in front of you in your classroom. So. Well,
0: and I think so much another area that's, I think, getting a lot more much needed attention is that secondary trauma. So even though you weren't necessarily the one receiving the initial trauma, but working in that environment, it's, I mean, you're human. And obviously most people that go into that go in because they want to help and they have that. They have a heart for that. They have their heart for that. Yeah. I mean, how Mm -hmm. did you take care of yourself to be able to do that for that amount of time? Because I think Um, it's helpful even for those that are working in public
1: schools right now who feel like sometimes what, what did you do? Wow. I can't even, I am, I'm not the queen of self-care. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just had that lecture last week. Um, so what can you do? I, I just think you have to be so aware. I, I know that when I did retire, one of the words that I used was that I'm just weary. Like, I don't yeah. really feel like I have any more to give right now. Mm. And so, Um, I would say that I, I, people could say that I burned out, you know, because Mm -hmm. of how, how, you know, stressful and emotionally involved, involved you get with it. Um, so, but I just think you have to, just like anything, you have to be able to try to set some boundaries and step back when you need to, or, or time yourself out or, or just say, you know, I gotta, I gotta just take this time. Um, the thing with which is hard in, I know in a lot of correctional settings, school is year round. So you get oh. to, you know, you, these kids are in s- school during the summer. And so there's not like, there's a lot of downtime. So it's hard to be able to take that, that time and that, but it's just so important.
0: That's interesting. Like the setting, they probably need it the most, but I completely understand why they don't because you don't want... You need mm-hmm. to probably keep with that structure because it's right. so important. Right. So, and the,
1: the kids need that.
0: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because oftentimes they never had it. And right. we all know as much as like, I don't like rules. I don't want rules. You know, I used yeah. to laugh. And I remember in high school, there was a group that was anarchy. And I'm thinking, oh, you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> you, you, you don't want that. No, <laughs> you right. want rules. You yeah. want, we all, we need to know there's a speed limit. We need yeah, to know there's a curfew. Structure. We need some We need some of that. Yeah. And something that I know that we talked about briefly before is just putting a human element. I mean, these, although it's easy to say again back to that, well, that's them, this is us, but these are people and these are right. youth. And right. these are the these are not, you know, bad kids. Um, mm-hmm. these are kids that probably more often than not were again dealt a bad hand. Right. And what can you tell us about just this population? And did you see oftentimes, you know, were there a lot of enough
1: success stories where you say, yes, this works? Right. I, I think it's successful when you can, when you can see that kids start to really engage and Mm -hmm. build their confidence and feel like they are, They're growing, and Mm -hmm. I think that many times from the beginning, that when they're with us until maybe seven or eight months later, when they're completing their program, you know, they're able to say, "Wow, look at I earned these high school credits." You know, I'm doing like I I'm getting A's and B's now. Um, This you know this teacher knows how to help me. Mm -hmm. Um, There is taking the time. You know, we can't expel there's no place to expel Mm -hmm. them. Right. So it's like, we, we got to make it happen with them. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's really great about it because then they see that we are going to, we're here. We're not going to let you go anywhere. We're going to, I mean, we're going to be here and help you and help you get move forward. So that in itself is really, really, um, I think that's what I liked about it the most, the rewarding part of being able to see them progress while they were with us.
0: Yeah, that would be, I, I could see why that would be
1: such a great experience. You know, I also think, I, I said this so many times to teachers, um, it's like, what if this were my kid? Mm-hmm. You know, I would want, if if one of my kids somehow got into a situation where um, she became incarcerated, I would want some really mm-hmm. good, caring, loving people on the other side of that fence that could work with her and connect with her and help her see you know what kinds of things she can do to like move forward from from this this what could be you know just consider just a to- totally awful experience and of course you know there's always good that can come from bad and i would want that kind of a person on the other side to meet her and i just think that's how you personalize it if you say man what i want my daughter or son to be going to this school when I feel like she was getting a good education being with these teachers and you know doing what they needed to do and I think that's really how you personalize it.
0: Well and I think that really does put it in perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Susan like you said it's you know or what if that was me? I mean right. I can say yeah. that I mean I'm sure most of us have made oh, mistakes sure. or done things where we're like oh, that could have turned out totally differently, right. but, mm-hmm. but didn't. And right. so I would want that. And and I think so many of these kids, you know, it, back to what you said is just giving them a chance, being there, not giving up on them. And for so many of them, they probably haven't, they probably feel like they can't trust oh, that right. people are going to, I mean, I'm sure that's one of the biggest is like, right. I don't trust you. I don't right. trust you. Well,
1: because so many adults have let them down, Yes. you know, yes. and and for for whatever reasons, um, Mm -hmm. maybe not because they wanted to, but just maybe some of the adults in their life might have been, um, you know, drug addicts or, Mm -hmm. you know, they had their own issues Mm -hmm. and really couldn't be the parent or the guide, you know, the guardian that Mm -hmm. this child needed. You know, one of the things I have, I actually straight ahead right now, it's on my bulletin board and I look up at it quite a few times, but there's a quote, and I can't even find where I got it, but it says, the most effective way to restore youth to a law-abiding lifestyle is through healthy relationships with healthy adults in healthy environments. And that's pretty much sums it up.
0: I was just going to say, I mean, (laughs) there -hmm. you go. I mean, we're all more successful with all those things. And especially if you... Again, Mm -hmm. we're just started out and, and you're right. So many times it's not even, you know, like pointing fingers at parents necessarily, but they oftentimes were, it's that cycle. It's definitely
1: Um, a cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's it's hard to break.
0: It is really hard to break. Um, have you had any that, um, once youth, once they've left that you've kept in touch with that, that have had experiences
1: where you're like, wow, you really turned, look at what has happened. No, I actually haven't kept in touch with any. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, we kind of, we, uh, we were kind of encouraged not to, but at Mm. the same time we do tell youth, you know, when they leave, it's like, look, you know, all of these people are here and if you need something, you know, but it's not like they're going to call and say, Hey, (laughs) you know, you know, call back. Hey, but at the same time, I think that sometimes some of them do. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, no, I don't, I haven't kept in touch with any.
0: Or ever, ever seen a name again in the news where
1: you're thinking, Oh no. uh, Yeah. I, I have seen that. And unfortunately I even saw one where the, the, youth was like 23 years old and he had been murdered, you know, and Aww. they found him in the, found him in the street. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, cause you know who that, that, again, you have a, yeah. A, it's it's a person, yeah. right? And yeah. you know, you, you just think, oh, you know, that's so sad because, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, unfortunately that happens as well. It's like what could have been. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, and, um, so, oh God, I lost my train of thought again Susan what's going on mm-hmm. <laughs> um okay so oh that was gonna ask you um if have you ever had um somebody that was felt so safe had that trust was finally had strong relationships that didn't want to leave even though they were
1: eligible um there were there were people, um, a lot of times people would say, uh, teachers or staff would say that, you know, a kid was doing really, really well mm-hmm. and working through his program and getting ready. is on the, you know, the level, you know, it's a level program and you work your way mm-hmm. up. And then when you're done, you're done. And he would do something to sabotage himself, you know, like mm-hmm. he would do something to purposely get back down a level because he was afraid to go home or he didn't mm-hmm. want to go home yet or whatever. And so, yeah, that's, that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then that's when the staff will sit and talk with them and try to counsel them through and find out mm-hmm. what it is that's, you know, keeping him from wanting to move forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that just goes
1: back full circle to
0: the supports and what they're being given during that time so that the goal is that they do feel like, okay, now I I know better, I'm going to do better and
1: I have these Mm -hmm. strategies and skills that I didn't have before. Right. And then the other part of it is helping them. Now, like another thing that we spend a lot of time doing is, is helping them get connected to, a support system mm. outside, you know, so that they know when they're done, they're going to go to this place. And that person mm. is going to help connect them to school and help get them to like, if they're old enough to get a job, you know, whatever. So having that confidence to know that, oh, I can do this. And we we have a plan here. We've mm. talked about all these things and this is, these are the next steps. So.
0: Yeah. And that's, I, when I was reading a, a lot about this, that was by far like the two things that they said reduced recidivism Mm -hmm. were what they were getting while they were in Mm -hmm. corrections and what supports they were set up with when they got out. Yes,
1: right. They have to have, Mm -hmm. they have to have a plan. I mean, we all do, but especially Mm -hmm. kids, you know, kids need to have, have, and they have to be connected to an adult who who can really help them navigate Mm -hmm. what's next. Um, Because sometimes the adult, in their family or in their life isn't able to do that. And so it's, it's good to know that they can, you know, connect with this person ahead mm-hmm. of time and, and then be able to connect on the outside. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And one last question. I just, I recently just saw, I was at a career fair and it was interesting mm-hmm. because I saw for the first time, and it was a medical career fair therapist, whatnot, and there was a booth set up of where they were hiring for corrections. I don't know if it mm-hmm. was youth or adults, but I had not seen that before at a career mm-hmm. fair, and I really wanted to go over and chat with them, oh, but I, I didn't know. get an opportunity. So if somebody is listening that thinks, wow, this may be an area I want to go into, what are
1: your suggestions that... Wow. Wow what would you recommend? I would, I would find out depending, I mean, if they want to work with youth, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Yes. I would go to the county, like look to find out where the county detention center Mm -hmm. is. Like, you know, sometimes um, it might be that there's one detention center and it's kind of in the county seat, you know, where they're like the biggest place. Um, But find out like go there and ask about it talk to the people there um ask if they can you know shadow somebody you know for um a day or two to see what it's like and Mm -hmm. observe um it's i'm sure that there are opportunities to do practicums that's how i got involved you know i um I needed to do student teaching but I was a grad student so they don't call it student teaching they call it practicum I guess because that sounds cooler I don't know I don't know you know but um sounds more grad student yeah yeah I guess you know but but you know I went and did my practicum there and honestly it was because it was they were had school in the summer and I needed mm. to be able to do it when I wasn't teaching for my my day job you know mm. and that's when it kind of it all started to snowball, you know, like, wow, I really like this, but definitely I would, I would talk to, you know, somebody at the detention center. The other thing you might look to is, um, going to like the United Way, um, kinds of places where, um, you can talk to people who provide social services or, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, services to youth in general, or go to like Lots of times there are youth fairs where those types of agencies all come together and you can talk to, you know, the people mm-hmm. who provide those kinds of services and just learn about what it is that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just explore and know that this is another option for you to really make a difference.
0: Yeah, and I don't think it's one that's talked about
1: no. as much as like, no, it's uh, you It's like, know, have you ever like, thought about teaching it? Yeah. <laughs> Right. I, nobody ever, I never thought I would be, you know, working in corrections for 17 years, but it was a wonderful career. Yeah. And it's needed and it mm-hmm. is definitely
0: not for everybody, but for the right person, I could see mm-hmm. it being just an incredible opportunity. Right. So yeah. Well, I cannot thank you enough. You are just, I, I really, really enjoy speaking with you and learning from you. I think you're oh, just, you're welcome. It's, uh,
1: it's fun. I, I obviously I talk about no. it. <laughs> I, have, I have no problem talking.
0: Yeah, no, I love it, and I think this is so important for people to learn about and know about because you don't know what you don't know, and this could be right. something that sets somebody
1: on a different career path. So. Wow, I sure hope so. We, yeah. we we really need people who can be committed. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and check
0: out CEA. We'll put that information too in the sure. show notes. I again, I've been beyond impressed with with what that membership gets and just the amount of knowledge and resources. It's it's been really, uh, a cool group to well, that's be part awesome. of. Well, I'm glad about that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> good.
1: Well, thanks, Susan. Thanks. It was good to talk with you. Bye you now. You too. Bye.
0: And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning into SLP Full Disclosure. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes on our website at medtravelers.com slash SLP Full Disclosure. And don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss a guest. Are you interested in becoming a travel SLP? Visit medtravelers.com to learn more and explore the exciting opportunities we offer at top-level facilities across the country. Also, a special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Med Travelers. See you next time.